following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 1st, 2020, on the basis of Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. How would you like to be a part of something big? How would you like to play an active role in something that is going on in our world this very week that is going to make a difference that spans the globe and that has an impact not just for the next year or the next few, but possibly even for decades to come. If I asked a a random person walking down the street that question, no doubt they would assume that I was talking about this week's presidential election, and they would assume that having an active role in that election meant going out and, and casting their vote. Reasonable assumptions to make. On the other hand, if I ask those questions of the people sitting in this room and some of the people watching online, you might assume that I'm talking about something different. This week we are kicking off the fundraising efforts for our upcoming building project. A big thing an important thing, something that I I feel safe in saying is going to make a difference in a lot of people's lives, not just for the next few years, but for decades to come. Also reasonable assumptions to make. And in both of those cases, numbers are important. Doing calculations, crunching the numbers is important. In both of those cases, whether it's an election or a building project, math matters. When it comes to an election, it's all about who's got more votes, right? And not just individual votes, but electoral votes. Which states give each candidate the magic combination that gets them to that number of 270? In a building project, math is also important. How many acres of land are we talking? How much, how many square feet of building? How much is it going to cost? How much money do we need to raise? What is our mortgage payment going to look like when it's all said and done? All of that math matters. All of those calculations are important. And yet this morning I would like to talk to you and I would like you to think about something that's even bigger than a national presidential election and even bigger than a congregational building project. It's something that is so big that it has made a difference and will continue to make a difference, not just in in one community or even one country, not just for a few years or decades even, but for generations to come. In fact, it is something so big and so important that all of the normal rules don't apply. We can take all of our, our natural assumptions and our natural instincts and kind of just just throw them out the window. No amount of math, no amount of calculations will possibly help us understand just what this thing is and how this thing works. As we look at these verses from Revelation chapter 7 this morning, we're going to see that if you want to be a part of something truly big, stop trying to do the math. It's easy to forget that we are a part of this this big thing that is talked about in these verses. It's going on all around us at all times, and yet it is invisible to our eyes. And so thankfully, near the end of his life, while he was exiled on this island called Patmos, God allowed the Apostle John to see it in the form of a vision. 
And in these verses, John tells us that he looked, and there he saw a great multitude standing before the throne of God. We would say they were standing in heaven. And John sees that this great multitude had come from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people under heaven. You'll notice, therefore, that this multitude in heaven did not come just from the United States of America. It did not come just from Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It consisted of people not just from Good News Lutheran Church. As you and I sit here today, we are a part of something that is far bigger than just this specific group of Christians at this time and this place. And in fact, the things that we do as Christians, the things we do to carry out the mission Jesus has given us, whether that's gathering for worship and inviting people to join us or teaching the next generation the truths of God's word, whether that's knocking on the door of someone in our community or sending a missionary to the other side of the world, whether that's helping pay the bills in a place like this or helping us put up a building of our very own on a piece of land of our very own. All of those efforts are not just for our church. They are for the church. They are for Christ's church, a group that spans centuries and continents, a group that has been around not just for a handful of years, but for centuries before you and I ever came around. So John looks at this multitude, and he notices two very important things about them. First of all, they are all dressed in white robes. They are perfect. They are holy. They are saints. They have been examined by God and found worthy to stand in his presence. Quite an impressive group, you might say. So how do we become a part of it? We're here, here, well, here's where our natural instincts might kick in and tell us to start doing some calculations, to start doing some math. You see, on the one hand, we know there's a lot of bad things that we've done in our lives. We've acted selfishly. We've lost our tempers and, and said things that we regret. We've lis listened to the desires of our heart instead of listening to God's word. And all of those things sort of go on one side of the ledger. But then look at all the good things that we've done that we can put on the other side of the ledger. We've tried to be good parents, good spouses, good children, good students, good employees. We've tried to be good citizens. We've gone out and we've already cast our ballot or we're going to do so on Tuesday for sure. We don't drink and drive. We don't even text and drive. We wear our mask wherever we're supposed to. So look at all of those good things. They can go on the other side of the ledger. So let's crunch the numbers. Let's do the math. How does it all work out? And according to those same natural instincts, we might be convinced that our value and our benefit as a church is in our ability to sort of influence that math, to improve people's credit score before God, we might say, to take people who are already trying their very best and, and inspire and inform them of how to do even better, to be better citizens, better parents, better spouses, better people. That's how we could be part of something really big, right? Well, John actually sees something very different. One of the elders who is standing there around the throne asks John, these in white robes, who are they? And the answer that John gets, these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood 
of the Lamb. That's why they are in heaven. That's why they're before the throne of God. That's why they have the status of being saints. It's not because they've been able to successfully balance all of their bad deeds against even more good, good deeds. It's because they have taken their robes and washed them in blood. You see how the normal rules <laughs> don't apply here? All of the things that we think might help don't help one bit. All of the human effort and willpower and intellect in all the world cannot possibly make us worthy to stand before God. But the last thing you'd ever expect to make us clean, the blood, the blood of Jesus is what does the trick. Only the blood of the lamb can take our robes and, and make them white. Do you realize what that means as we think about possibly putting up a, a building as a church? There's a, a committee that's been involved already in a lot of work in terms of planning the design of this building, and that work is really only just getting started. There's still a lot to do. And I'm guessing that as that work proceeds, it will be really easy for us to spend a lot of time on decisions like exterior siding and paint color, things like carpet or tile, things like pews or padded chairs, things like whether or not the pastor gets his own underground parking garage in the building, for example. I don't think that one's actually on the table. And yet far more important than any of those decisions, we are building a place because we need a place where the blood of Jesus can flow freely. Not where people who are already doing pretty good can be inspired to be even better, but where people who know just how bad they have been can come to be forgiven. And forgiven in the specific ways that Jesus promises to forgive us. So we need a place where there's one of these, an ambo or a, a pulpit, where the word of God and his promises of forgiveness can be proclaimed. We need a place where there's one of those, a baptismal font, where the blood of Jesus washes people's sins clean. We need one of these, an altar where Jesus can give us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. These things, these activities are like taps, faucets that Jesus allows us to open up anytime that we want and where we as sinners can stand underneath with our sin-stained robes and have the blood of Jesus wash them perfectly white. Sure, we could, we could crunch the numbers to try and help people who are already trying to be pretty good, be just a little bit better, but John wants us to see that we are part of something far bigger. A multitude, already dressed in white, already saints, and only the blood of the Lamb can wash those robes and make them clean. John sees a, a second characteristic of this multitude standing before God. He sees that they are waving palm branches in their hands. In the ancient Near East, that was a symbol of victory and peace. Think about it. If you're holding a palm branch in your hand, it, doesn't, it means that you're not holding a sword. It means that you're not holding a sickle. It means that there aren't any battles left to be fought or any work that needs to be done. Everything is right and everything is finished. Again, sounds like the kind of group you'd like to be a part of. So how do we get there? 
Well, again, it, it might be easy for our natural instincts to kick in and to start doing the math, to start crunching the numbers. In fact, come to think of it, during the course of this past year, we've gotten a lot of numbers thrown our way. How many new cases? How many new hospitalizations? How many new deaths? You go on the website of the CDC or the DHS or the PHMDC and you can find numbers for days, endless numbers. And underneath all of them, at least in some cases, is one common assumption. That if we just crunch the numbers, if we do all of the math, and if we just figure it all out, we can make it stop. And I'm not even so much talking about a virus. I'm talking about risk in general, bad things in general, death, and all the pain that it causes in our world. If we just crunch all of the numbers, if we just do everything right, we can make it stop. And, and according to those same natural assumptions, then, a church like ours would be valuable and beneficial to our community insofar as we can contribute to that. Insofar as we can do something to take people's already good lives and make them just a little bit better. To take our already unprecedentedly safe world and, and make it just a little bit safer. safer. To take our, our community and bring an end to, to sadness and, and pain and sorrow and poverty and loss. Then we could be a part of something big. John sees something that's far bigger. That elder that asked him a question didn't just ask him, who are these people that are dressed in white robes? He also asked them, also asked him, where did they come from? And the answer, John is told, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. So every single person in that multitude who is standing in heaven has come out of conditions on earth that can be described as great tribulation. It's not as if John was given the answer, well, up until 2020, everyone came out of what might be called the Great Tribulation, but then in 2020, they figured it all out. They figured out this pandemic, and the election went just the right way, and they started making all of the right decisions about things like health care and climate change and gun violence. And so from that point forward, the people that are, are now in heaven came out of not the Great Tribulation, but the Great Tropical Vacation. <laughs> they managed to turn Earth into the perfect paradise. John sees something far different. He sees that the paradise doesn't start until heaven. He pictures it like this pasture where a shepherd has led his flock of sheep, a pasture where there is clean and clear water, where there's no more hunger and no more thirst, no more scorching heat, no more pain or sadness or tears. And in fact, notice who that shepherd is. It's a lamb. And not just any lamb. Even though John doesn't say it here, we know exactly what this lamb looked like because from the very first time he's introduced in the book of Revelation, he's described as having one defining characteristic. He is a lamb that looks as if he had been slain. He's a lamb that's been slaughtered. This shepherd who will lead us to the paradise of heaven is not some powerful king with a mighty army. It's not some billionaire CEO who has endless amounts of money to be able to throw at any problem. It's not some king that the people of the world banded together to elect and crown and rally behind. No, it's the one who the people of the world rejected and despised and crucified. 
and this lamb, this savior of ours named Jesus, risen and ascended into heaven, yes, in glory, but still bearing on his body the marks of his crucifixion in hands and feet and side. Do you see how the normal rules don't apply here? Only a lamb who has been slaughtered can safely lead us to the pastures of heaven. Do you realize what that means for us as we think about building a church? As we've talked about all the, the different activities that will take place in our church and all of the different spaces that we need for those activities, there's, there's one activity that hasn't been mentioned, at least to my knowledge, a whole lot. We need to build a place where we can have funerals. Up until this point in our history, just seven years in, we still just have one member of Good News who has joined this great multitude that John sees. And yet, I am willing to bet, bet my entire life savings on it, in fact, that the longer Good News continues, the higher that rate and the higher that frequency of funerals is going to grow. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that same life savings on the fact that if you keep coming to Good News, if you continue to be a member here, then eventually the very last time that you will attend church at that new building we're going to put up is when you are in a casket. We had a discussion recently about whether or not our, our worship space should be all hard surface or if it should have any carpet at all. And in that discussion, there were some comments about the the, how the carpet might get dirty from the snow and the salt that we drag in from the outside during the winter, or the snacks that the kids spill on the, on the floor that parents give them during the service. I don't think anyone remembered to mention the tears. The tears that will surely flow in this new worship space as another family gathers for another funeral to grieve another loss of another loved one. Jesus' mission is not to turn this world, this great tribulation, into something that it's not. Instead, it's to rescue us out of this great tribulation for the paradise he has prepared. Sure, we could do the math. We could crunch the numbers, and we could try and figure out a way to make our world just a slightly better place. But John sees something far bigger. We are part of something far bigger. An endless procession out of the great tribulation to the perfect pastures of heaven. And only... A slaughtered lamb can be the shepherd who leads us there. This month, as we, we kick off this fundraising effort for our upcoming building project, not, not every sermon that you hear this month is going to focus on that building project the way that this one did, but every sermon is going to reflect the theme of the worship series that we are starting today. So often, the, the things that we give our time and our attention to are aimed at bringing immediate results what can immediately solve a problem or improve our circumstances? And that's why we love to do the math. That's why we love to crunch the numbers, because those numbers will tell us what is going to work. And yet so much of what we do as Christians is like that farmer who, who plants the seed in the ground. After he does the work, he needs to wait for it. He needs to be patient for the harvest, and yet he knows it will surely come. And that's why the math doesn't work. In fact, there's, there's one detail, probably my favorite detail of this vision that I haven't mentioned yet. John sees this multitude before the throne of God. They're dressed in white. They're waving palm branches in their hands. How many were in it? John says it was a multitude that no one could count. Not that he couldn't count. Not that some genius mathematician couldn't count. Not that you couldn't count unless you had a calculator on hand. It was a multitude that no one could count. 
Friends, Jesus has invited us and made us to be a part of something so big, so good, so wonderful, that quantifying it, doing the math, isn't even possible. Amen. Thank you.